independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, and that would be Des Moines, Iowa. As always, if you are listening or watching this program live on the Fallon Forum Facebook page, you are most welcome to join this conversation. What you do is you text us at 515-519-6323, and then we call you back and bring you into the conversation as soon as we can do that. And if you value what we do, folks, we need your support. You can uh, visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, that's my grocery store. It's a locally owned grocery store and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. You can also check out Gateway's catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of this program and community radio stations across the state. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and planet, and he provides services that is, are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. My in-studio guest today is Jessica Wiskus. She is a rural landowner in Lynn County, Iowa, and her property lies smack dab in the pathway of Navigator's proposed pipeline. Uh, Jessica has compiled some really important research and we want to share that with you. Jessica, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Ed. I'm happy to be here. And you know, folks, wherever you live in the U.S., I mean, if you're listening in Ohio, Missouri, Louisiana, North Dakota, no, North Dakota, New Mexico, Idaho, this is a relevant conversation. The upper Midwest is getting hit hard and fast by this CO2 pipeline buildup, but this affects everybody everywhere. And, uh, you know, right now there are 5,000 uh, linear miles of, uh, of pipeline in this, in this country. They want to build it out to 65,000 miles. That's a whole bunch of pipeline. Jessica, welcome to the program. Now, as you know, Navigator and Summit both present their pipeline project as solutions to the climate crisis. And I, I guess my question for you is how do people genuinely concerned about climate change respond to that assertion? Well, I think you have to look at the reason why they're capturing the CO2, because I didn't realize this until a pipeline was headed into my land, but uh, now I have been learning very swiftly that the purpose of CO2, of capturing CO2, is really to support the oil and gas industry. And so what happens is that the CO2 is captured and then it is put under an enormous amount of pressure so that it changes phase, it becomes liquefied and can be moved through a pipeline infrastructure to a place where, you know, they say they're going to store the CO2 under the ground. But in fact, right now of anthropogenic CO2, I mean, CO2 that comes from, you know, industry or, or right. man-made produced sure. CO2, 90% um, of it, over 90% of it is used for enhanced oil recovery. Right. Now, yet the pipeline companies insist that uh, their primary goal is to sequester this underground, a mile underground, according to Summit, uh, for a million years, <laughs> which I think if it wasn't such a serious matter, I would find that really comical. But yeah. I want to play for you the response of one of the Summit pipeline representatives to my question uh, Kathy and I were at one of the first public hearings, and we asked, well, you know, is, is this going to be sequestered underground? And if so, will you commit to that in writing? And here's their response. Would the company be willing to assure us in writing that the, oil, the CO2 going to North Dakota will not be used for additional oil extraction? So as we stand here today, our goal is to sequester the CO2 a mile underground and not use it for enhanced oil recovery. We can't make the promise long-term that commercial options might be available that are different than storing it underground. So we want to keep all of our options available. That says volumes. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> I don't does. know if you, whether you've seen that clip yet. I hadn't seen that clip, but in fact, I had an experience so similar really? to that okay. when I went to Navigator's informational meetings and asked a similar question. What I was told by Navigator is that technically as a common carrier, which is what they're right. why they're applying for the permit. They said they cannot deny what their customers, meaning the industrial customers, ethanol want. plants and whatnot. Yes, yeah. exactly. What they want to do with the CO two. So in other words, what they said at the meeting is that you know we don't have any control over what happens with this CO two. We are just a 
character. Right. So when they say they're going to sequester it underground for, quote, a million years, uh, or for any lo- any length of time at all, they're lying. Well, they're, they're not telling the truth. Okay, they're correct? not telling the whole truth, but they are ah. not lying about the part that they're going to sequester it. You see, because what happens is that they take that CO2 and they inject it under the ground. That CO2 potentially could stay under there for a while. The problem is that they use this as a tool to enable... Um, uh, the extraction of additional fossil fuels. Stuff that's oiled is hard to get to otherwise. Exactly. Right, they right, call right. it stranded oil. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> they do. Save me! Save me! <laughs> right, they, right, believe right. Me, they want to save the oil. <laughs> that's right. Save so me, when I'm they stranded. say, we're going to sequester it underground for a million years, they're not lying. They're just not telling the whole truth. <laughs> okay, right. So, and, you know, um, and again, one of the key players here, I'm going to talk more about some of the key players in the political realm later on, but but Bruce Rastetter, um, the, uh, he's one of the wealthiest, I think he's the biggest donor to the Iowa Republican Party. And uh, on, on a Minnesota public radio broadcast, uh, I can't remember when this was, but he said, quote, Summit is also exploring other options, including injecting the gas into depleted oil fields to boost oil production. I mean, they basically have already committed to using this for enhanced oil recovery. Right, Ed. And I think what is important to keep in mind is that you and I, right here in Iowa, we're learning about this project as it unfolds, and it's just been in the news for the past few months, perhaps a year at most. But in fact, there are articles, academic articles, that have been produced for the industry, which specifically targets ethanol uh, plants in Iowa because this pipeline infrastructure is what the industry has been looking for mm. for well over a decade. And you, and you've and some of your research uh, brings that together. Tell us about that. Yeah. So in 2006, there was a report that ARI, that's Advanced Resources International. Advanced Resources International. Yeah. And what is that? They're a company out of Texas that does enhanced oil recovery. That That's their business. What's what, the name again? Advanced Resources International. Oh, that sounds so warm and fuzzy. Anyway. Well, it might sound familiar to you because... <laughs> They're there to save the stranded oil. <laughs> yes. It's the company that Navigator has partnered All with right, in Illinois. And, but we should also point out that Navigator's other partners include Valero. Yes. A big friend of... a uh, big, big, big fan of climate action. And... <laughs> yes. And Tenasco. Drumroll, Blackhawk. Or Blackrock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blackrock. But, he, but here's what's so interesting, Ed, is that they had the audacity in 2006 to produce a report for the U.S. Department of Energy. And in this report, they talk about the Stranded Oil Prize. And I should quote, the Stranded Oil Prize, Prize. which is part of the Illinois and Michigan Basin. And what they say is that that basin has a reservoir of 18 billion gallons, barrels, I'm sorry, barrels of oil in it. And what are they, about 55 gallons in each barrel, I think? And you'd have to help me out with well, that. I, I'm not here for conversions. Okay. <laughs> but okay. in any case, this report goes back to 2006, and ARI walks onto the scene and says, don't worry, we can get the stranded oil prize. And how do we do it? With CO2 EOR, with CO2 enhanced oil recovery. Mm. Their only problem in the report is they're looking for an industrial yeah. source of CO2. That's where it starts. They don't have enough. They don't have enough. Right. That's exactly what they have been yeah. saying. This so, pipeline would solve so that. So you said something that is, I mean, I've been well aware that the Summit Pipeline, which would run north to North Dakota, yeah. uh, and again, if you listen to more of these uh, conversations that Kathy and I recorded from our presence at the uh, Summit hearings, it's clear that they, you know, they, 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 they are, they're trying to find ways of deflecting everything. Um, I pointed out, well, you're going, you're going toward the Bakken regime, your Bakken reserve. Yeah. This, this CO2 is going to be, quote, sequestered very close to where it could be used mm-hmm. for enhanced oil recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. I think it was Powell, the, uh, the CEO of, uh, of um, I think it was the CEO of um, Summit says, well, no, we're quite a ways away. And he didn't say how much. I mean, it doesn't matter how far away you are. The bottom line is it's going to be fairly easy to get this stuff to the location you, quote, need it. Right. And, and is the same is the same case with Illinois? I'm not really same, familiar with same, what's available oil-wise. Yeah, same okay. case with Illinois. So, again, these stranded barrels of oil. They, <laughs> I just want to say, oh, help me, oh, help me every time you say that, well, but I'll stop. Well, calculated that they can help 1.5 billion barrels of oil through enhanced oil recovery. That's how much 1. is 1.5 billion. 1. What, does that, billion. what does that translate to in terms of climate damage? <laughs> 
that. <laughs> I can't. I can't give you some sort of measure uh, yeah. of that. The companies are very good, actually, in yeah. saying how many cars that means, or et cetera, so, et cetera. So, so, one more question about the climate side of this, and then I want to open yeah. up the phone lines. Uh, uh, the situation in Ukraine, very disturbing, very mm-hmm. serious. Um, the headline in the Guardian last week. Quote, uh, U.S. fossil fuel industry leaps on Russia's invasion of Ukraine to argue for more drilling. Petroleum lobby calls for looser regulation and drilling on public lands to, quote, ensure energy security. Mm-hmm. Is that going to make our work harder? Yes, I think that what we're talking about here, Ed, is not just a pipeline through Iowa, but part of a national policy that will affect all of us and in worst case scenario, prevent us from moving away from fossil fuels. That's mm. why this is so important. And that's why we need to work so hard to try to stop it in Iowa, because they will stop at nothing to continue to rake in the profits. Uh, 515-519-6323. If you'd like to join the conversation, text us. We'll call you back again, 515-519-6323. And uh, again, my guest today, uh, Jessica Wiskus, and we'd like to welcome... Uh, Keith uh, Puntany to the uh, program. Hello, uh, Keith. Welcome to the conversation. Hi, Ed. There's 42 gallons in a barrel, so you can do the math. <laughs> well, I, I knew somebody would straighten us both out on that. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Jessica's absolutely right. What's interesting is uh, CO2 sequestration has been going on an awfully long time in the, in the natural gas uh, area. And that's because natural gas has a lot of hydrogen sulfide mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. So um, all these, you know, um, these areas that are basically been producing lots and lots of natural gas have not uh, had any way to to deal with the hydrogen sulfide. So what they've been doing is flaring the, right. the hydrogen sulfide and also the natural gas that they can't put in the pipelines. And that's basically what's been happening up in the Bakken area. Is the Bakken's been flaring all the natural gas that's produced as part of the oil reco- the enhanced oil recovery programs that are that are ongoing up there. The second thing is that um, what's what's also happening with the CO two sequestration issue is by using um, CO two liquefied CO two, they can not use as much water which is what they've been using as part of the fracking fluid. Instead, right. they can use the CO2, liquefied CO2, to, um, to actually enhance the fracking. Um, there's already uh, CO2, liquefied CO2, that's going up into Canada for enhanced fracking of the, of the, uh, the Bakken area up in the, the Canada as well. So none of this is new. It's just we're just now learning about all yeah. of this. And I think, I think Jessica's point that... Uh, that the industry, I mean, they, the industry has stated they need more CO2 to uh, engage in that level of oil extraction. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, they, they, they've got the ability to do that. But what they haven't done is they haven't basically tried to collect the massive amounts of CO2 that have just been put up in the air. OK, mm-hmm. by by the, the folks that produce steel, by the folks that produce concrete, mm-hmm. by the by the um, all of the manufacturing processes Otherwise, that are out yeah. there, including the ethanol Hydrogen. folks. Okay, all of that stuff is, is being just put up in the air along with the methane from all the hog confinements and everything else. And so now we're finally beginning to realize that's a real problem. You know, what's going up in the air is but it's really what's helping to exacerbate the uh, global warming. And now they're, they're all of a sudden discovering they need to do something about it. And of course, CO2 sequestration is the latest, greatest thing. Jessica, you want to respond? Yeah, no, thank you, Keith, for your comments. Um, I completely agree with you. I think that the only real climate solution that we can talk about is a, a solution that doesn't permit the, the creation of the CO2 in the first place. So thinking that you're going to be able to capture it because it does require a great deal of energy to capture it, thinking that that's the solution. No, that's nothing but a permission slip to continue polluting and continue our dependence on the fossil fuel industry. And Keith, what, what about the argument that well, what's going on in Ukraine uh, and the need to free not just the U.S. but the, the world of Russian oil exports? Uh, we're going to have to extract more oil here at home. What about that argument that the fossil fuel industry is making? Well, somebody's going to do it, whether it's Norway or um, uh, the EU or um, OPEC or you know somebody else. Their argument is, we have all of this availability here, 
that that we can tap into and and we've got all this infrastructure so let us drill 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 is 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 basically the argument that 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 they're making in terms of their profits and everything else the interesting thing though is if you go look at what's happening in the EU uh, which is the European uh, Union and uh, in Asia and and especially India and places like that those folks are moving away from fossil fuels at a at a, a much accelerated pace and go look at what Germany just did right. you know not only shutting down its nuclear reactors but now you know, investing much more broadly right. in in, but, in geothermal and other things. So but, that's I mean, where we really need to go. Isn't yeah? Isn't that the, is, that's the that's the real response? I mean, mm-hmm. if I was a U.S. politician still, <laughs> that'd be my response to the oil industry. No, this does not mean we need to increase our ability to extract oil. It means this is a great opportunity to build the kind of renewable energy infrastructure. Ideally, that is divert, that is dispersed, that, that, that a lot of different local companies and individuals participate in, instead of all being owned by one company. This is an opportunity to accomplish that. That would be my my response. Well, uh, there's other, the other side of this is this is going to really accelerate hydrogen as as a, a viable fuel, in terms of that. And and you know, there's all kinds of hydrogen out there. There's hydrogen that's made from fossil fuels. There's hydrogen that's made from the what we call food gas, which is what the, you get from the garbage, you know, yeah. dumps that uh, that's collected. There's hydrogen that can be made from methane, which comes from hog confinements and from manure, you know, pits and th- that sort of thing. So I think what we're going to see is is um, everybody start to look much more favorably at at hydrogen, even if there's substantial costs to do that as a, as as a possibility. But of course, the infrastructure is not there there yet, you know, to use hydrogen um, in in large uh, uh, quantities and so that's the the argument is do we build you know co2 pipelines or do we build pipelines that could basically start you know making hydrogen uh, an available fuel for heating and and all the other things there i think that's the real argument that is a whole new conversation yeah i can keep thank you uh, so much for joining us really appreciate you taking the time to uh to visit with us um so yeah we got to take a uh, this is Ed Fallon again, folks, and we've got to take a short break. Jessica Wiskus with us in the studio. We'll be right back with more conversation. And when we do come back, uh, we're going to look at these pipelines' impact on farmland, on soil quality, and on public health. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand cut meats local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Back to the Fallon Forum. If you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We will call you back and bring you into the conversation. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. You go to the Fallon Forum website, donate if you can. Even better, donate monthly if you can. Uh, become a monthly sponsor if you're a business or a nonprofit. Let's talk about that. Speaking of sponsors, thanks to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. Thanks also to Western Optometry located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday, 
from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. Again, welcome back to the program. With me today, Jessica Wiskus, a landowner in Lynn County, Iowa, who has done her homework when it comes to understanding why they want to put these CO2 pipelines through her farm and through 2,000 miles of Iowa farmland. And that does not include the impact this would have on Nebraska, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, nor does it include the impact that these pipelines would have on states all across the country because they want to build this thing out from 5,000 miles currently to 65,000 miles. And, you know, um, I want to move beyond the, the climate conversation because there are so many other concerns about this. Uh, you know, Jessica, you're opposed to this. I've heard from a lot of farmers and landowners who are opposed to this. The company and some of their apologists in the Iowa legislature say, well, there's a lot of people who really like this. That's going to be a great thing for Iowa. Do you have any idea what's your own sense from talking to your neighbors to talking to other people around Iowa? Who, How are people feeling about this generally? Are there a lot of farmers and landowners opposed or is it just a few? Oh, no, there's a lot of farmers and landowners. Mm. And in fact, hundreds of people have filed objections on the Iowa Utilities Board docket. And those people range from, you know, uh, school teachers in small towns who are concerned about the pipelines coming right next to our small town mm. communities to farmers who understand the damage that this is going to do to their soils and they're concerned, very concerned about that. And I want to talk about that, but let, let's, you, you mentioned... Uh, People living in towns nearby who were concerned, and uh, what what's um, okay? So the argument is going to be this stuff is running underground. It's high tech. It's been scientifically proven to be safe. What's the concern? Why would anybody be worried about CO two running through a pipeline just outside their town? Well, so. CO2 exists in the atmosphere, in the right. air that we breathe, right? At at a concentration of 0.04 percent. Okay. Point that number you, that number you've percent. got down. Oh, I have a lot of stuff in that, unfortunately. <laughs> anyway, and, and it exists as a gas, right? So that's a completely different kind of um, uh, health uh, aspect to it than this liquid industrial CO2. So industrial liquid CO2, CO2 that has been pressurized and has changed its phase, and that's what's going to be running through these pipelines. If you breathe this, at concentrations between 10 to 15 percent, it results in loss of consciousness and eventually death, convulsions, right? yep. coma, and death in a minute. And, we, and we've had we've had one tragic example here in the U.S. already. And I had the author of the uh, investigative uh, story on this program a while back, uh, Dan Zegar. Yeah, yeah. And and that. Uh, that should be a wake-up call to anybody living in anywhere near one of these pipelines. Yeah, it is a wake-up call. And that happened in Satarsha, Mississippi in February of um, 2021, I believe. And um, it did alarm a number of people because it was the first time that actually um, people had been caught up in this kind of a rupture. Mm. But something that's really important to understand, Ed, that I learned later is that the rupture, when it happened, it was one mile away from the actual little town of Satarsha, Mississippi. Now that CO2 traveled, it, it's heavier than air, and so it doesn't dissipate, it right. rolls. And so yeah. it traveled into this town. Dozens of people were sickened. And that's I mean, a terrible and, and thing. Describe sickened. I mean, By sickened, that can be, oh, I've got a tummy ache, or it can mean... Okay, so sickened. So, for example, two of the young men who had been fishing and were returning home and unfortunately happened to be, you know, driving by uh, when this rupture happened. Um, they were on a, a road that was in close proximity. Uh, they suddenly, their car stopped. Of course, a combustion engine won't run when there's CO2. Um, okay. CO2 displaces oxygen. So the bet, car... But nobody would think about that ahead of time. Well, they didn't right. think about yeah. that ahead of right. time. But now we know. So, I mean, we learned from Satasha. Their car stopped. They rolled up the windows, but they fell unconscious. They were foaming at the mouth. They mm. were curled up in a fetal position. Mm. I mean, it's extraordinary that the emergency responders saved their lives. Yeah. But here's the thing, Ed, is that in Iowa, where the pipeline is going... At least for me and my neighbors, there are some houses that are only 100 or 200 feet from mm. the pipeline. So in Satarsha, it was a mile from the rupture. And it still With, had that impact. Yes. You know. Here we're talking 200 mm. feet. Uh, now, again, when Kathy and I were at some of the public hearings, we questioned uh, 
we questioned the summit officials about about this as well and pointed out that well you know why is this why is this not a concern and their response was well that pipeline had hydrogen sulfide in it and that was the problem not the co2 which is Again, another lie. Yeah, exactly. A total lie. It, it's another just. In lies. fact, the, the hydrogen sulfide might have helped save some people because it smells. Right, and, and CO two doesn't is, is odorless, right? right? And you can't you can't see it. Yeah. So what what about the issue of uh, of soil damage, land uh, damage to your topsoil, your tile, your tile. your land? I mean, a lot of farmers who um, I mean, on the Dakota Access Pipeline situation, a lot of farmers who really weren't that concerned about climate change. We're really concerned about what impact this is going to have on the soil health, the crop yields, the way the water drains on and off the soil. Yeah. Um, what are you hearing about that? Oh, a huge concern for everyone because you see, soil is a living thing. It's not just dirt. And so even if you cart away the topsoil and you separate the different layers of the soil, when you try to put that back again after the pipeline has come in, you've you've killed the soil mm. in effect. And and soil is something that is I don't know how to say it's a gift from nature. You know, Iowa has some of the greatest soils in the world. It and is, and yeah. they're irreplaceable. And I've traveled enough. Uh, I mean <laughs> the place I grew up they had to come in with dynamite and blow up rocks so that we could have a lawn. <laughs> um, and and, and my other, my other, the other place I spent a lot of time as a kid was out in, in Ireland my, at my grandparents' farm. And talk about rocks. <laughs> talk, about, yeah. talk about poor soil. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we, I, and I think Iowa farmers, wherever they're at on this issue, whether they're willing to have the pipeline come through, I think they understand just how valuable that soil is. Yeah, I haven't met a farmer yet, and I all my neighbors are farmers, and my dad is a farmer, and so I know all, all my neighbors. Um, uh, no one is in favor of the pipeline. Yeah. Um, and some of the, I mean, some of the... Uh, the information that's come out from the Dakota Access Pipeline years later, uh, mm-hmm. a, a couple of farmers down in uh, Keokuk County were, were showing, uh, and I've, I've shared these on on, on my on my on my, on my website too, mm-hmm. the, the showing showing infrared imagery of their crop yields, and you see areas where they're getting what, you know, two hundred bushels of corn an acre, eighty bushels of soybean an acre, mm-hmm. and then you see this this like this red area running across the property, right through the middle. And you wonder what that is. Well, that's the pipeline. That's the Dakota Access Pipeline. And at that point, the the yields are so low. It's a, it's a, I mean, you could not grow. If you had a field that produced that across the board, you'd be losing a whole bunch of money. You wouldn't be farming for more than a year or two. Right. And in addition to just those yields that you're talking about, there's something in Iowa called the Corn Suitability Rating, right. the CSR. CSR yeah. And this in Iowa determines property values mm-hmm. for agricultural land. The Corn Suitability Rating is, you know, the amount of yield that you would have on that right. soil type. But that rating is determined by the drainage, uh, by the soil type, yep. uh, by the soil structure. And that's exactly what we're talking about. These pipelines will, yeah. will ruin. Yeah, and some of the areas where the glacier came through Iowa a few years back, you know, you've got corn mm-hmm. suitability ratings in the 90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, in my it's, area It's incredible. Well. Yeah, okay, yeah, Lynn yeah, County as well. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I, that, that seems to be one of the primary reasons people are expressing concern about this. I mean, they're certainly concerned about climate change mm-hmm. uh, and about the fact that this is not a climate solution and it could actually make climate change worse. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, people are seeing what happened along the Dakota Access Pipeline route. Mm-hmm. Uh, crop yields drastically reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, f- photographs of soil, of topsoil. I mean, again, the promise is we'll separate the topsoil, we'll separate the subsoil, we'll put them back the way they came out. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is at least, there's probably... Hundreds of examples of this, but this one photo that just says it all, topsoil going into the bottom of the pit on top of the pipe. Right. You know? Or this enormous <laughs> construction equipment driving over the topsoil as they're constructing. Or compacting it. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, how, you, I, w- I would think, I mean, and... What's your best guess? I mean, again, you're you're you and I are both biased on this. <laughs> We're both biased on this, um, but you're you're I, I'm, I'm the pipeline would come about twelve miles from where I live. Mm-hmm. I'm not that close. Right. <laughs> close enough, and actually anywhere at all disturbs me. Yeah. But uh, you're it's right through your farm. 
I'm in the corridor, so, so you're, and you're, we don't know exactly where they're going to put it. Right, you're there. talking to people left and right around you. And yeah. Are, is there anybody who's okay with this? It, well, maybe they just haven't told me that they are because <laughs> but <you're, laughs> they're too polite. But yeah. but uh, no, I, I so when I first began to put together the pieces of this puzzle and become concerned about the nature of these pipelines, I just tried to organize a community meeting because... I like my neighbors. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I did, I just uh, arranged a meeting and put posters up and put something in the local newspaper. You have to understand my town has like 2,200 people in it. It's a big town. <laughs> 2,200, Well, yes. compared Very to some big. towns in Iowa, it's big. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, on a Saturday morning, we had a couple of meetings where I presented some information and we had over 100 people show up, mm. which is a lot. A lot of the 2,200, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, beyond the uh, the health concern, that the, the the example presented to us by the disaster in Satarsha, Mississippi, mm-hmm. what are some of the other health concerns? Well, there's a company in Norway called Denorska Veritas, and they are a company that tries to determine sort of the, the liability and the safety concerns for the gas and oil industry. They've been doing testing on CO2 pipelines for quite a long time. And there's an example that I would encourage your your listeners and viewers to watch. It's an example of a rupture of an eight and a half inch diameter pipeline, which is buried underground, filled with pure CO2 at temperature and pressure parameters equivalent to Navigator's project, at least in, in my county. When you watch this, um, the rupture looks <laughs> a bit like an atomic bomb, and I, I'm not I, I have seen it. I have seen it. It looks like a very white uh, version of what you would see from an atomic explosion. Yeah, so that white plume that you see went up over 200 feet, and mm. it spread over a quarter of a mile in, very under, quickly, right? in under four minutes. And that white plume is not smoke. So CO2 doesn't um, start a fire. The white plume is a solid form of CO2, which is like dry ice. Mm. If you were to breathe that, it's cryogenic. It will, it will burn your lungs. Mm. So that plume... So immediate, immediate yeah, uh, exactly. damage to you, or maybe death even. Is it, oh, yeah. I mean, burning your lungs, that doesn't yeah, sound like No, it's no, it's, it's not possible. And yeah. what is really frightening, as I said before, uh, our neighbors, I mean, our homes are, are within <laughs> that quarter mile of that rupture. We, we know what can happen. Mm-hmm. And these pipelines in my county, they were proposing going right through a school district, the College Community School District in Cedar Rapids, hmm. through their property. Right. And, children. And are they, are children. They, is the school district opposed as well? Oh, yes, of course. So, they, you know, they filed an, uh, an opposition. Yeah. Now, now, one thing that's happened with this with this set of pipeline proposals that didn't happen in Dapple, you've got county boards of supervisors, you've got cities and apparently mm-hmm. school districts as well mm-hmm. that are registering strong objections to this absolutely that that did not happen before absolutely uh, and I, I i don't for, for like me i'm really not sure why but maybe maybe now that folks see what kind of damage dapple did mm-hmm. you know many years years after the oil started running uh they're saying okay we've had enough of this <laughs> we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna stand for this yeah maybe there, that's it there's an extremely strong grassroots movement uh people like myself but people all over the state and we have perhaps been learning how to use technology or other means to reach out mm. to each other and simply affirm the fact that we're not signing voluntary easements, we're going to stand up against this, it gives mm-hmm. us some strength. Right. So the yeah. objections come out of that. I know I've been going to the County Board of Supervisors meetings in Lynn County and in Cedar County. My neighbors have been showing up at these meetings and we've been voicing yeah. our concerns. And have Lynn County and Cedar County both raised, uh, the boards of supervisors both raised objections? Lynn County did raise an objection. Cedar County said they were going to, and I have to say, Ed, I haven't seen it yet on the docket, and that's complicated because Jeff Kaufman is on the Cedar County Board of Supervisors. Oh, he's the uh, head of the uh, Iowa Republican Party. Yes. But his son, a state representative, is at least uh, outspoken against the abuse of eminent domain. Yes. In fact, he champions uh, this issue. Which we want to talk about when we come back. Again, this is Ed Fallon. Uh, Jessica Whisk is my guest today. We've got to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with more conversation. And when we do come back, we're going to look at the threat of eminent domain being used to to build these pipelines and also legislation relevant to that and also where the different political leadership in this state uh, are standing, what they're saying. I've got some great clips to share, what they're saying about about this pipeline and about the use of eminent domain. 
Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Back to the Fallon Forum. Again, if you are listening to our live broadcast on Facebook, you can join us by texting your name to 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. We will call you right back as soon as we can on a different line and we'll bring you into the conversation. And you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic. That's where Dr. Kim Holding has cared for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. She's our vet. We highly recommend her. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Jessica um, Wiska's with me here in the studio. And uh, I want to... I want to run a couple things by you, Jessica. And you, I, I, didn't, I didn't prep you for this, so... No, you didn't prep me for anything, so... I love doing that to my guests. It makes it much more entertaining for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, thank you. So the Republican Party platform in Iowa, the Iowa Republican Party platform says, quote, we oppose federal or state government taking private property away from the owner for the use of another private party. Eminent domain should be used only for public use. That's in the Republican platform. Yes. The Democratic platform says, we oppose eminent domain abuse, period. Okay, in all fairness, both platforms speak out against eminent domain being used, and presumably in the Democratic platform, presumably they mean for a private purpose. Yeah. The Republican platform is much more specific. Mm -hmm. And yet, both Republican and Democratic leadership are failing to address this and to take, take seriously their own platform yeah and the overwhelming view of the general public. Uh, I, I want to quote you something else about, and again, Bruce Rastetter. Uh, Mother Jones points out that Bruce Rastetter, quote, is a heavyweight in Iowa politics, dubbed by Politico in 2015 as, quote, the real Iowa kingmaker for his generous campaign contributions and close ties to top Republican politicians. Mm -hmm. There you got, you got the, one of the biggest Republican heavy hitters on the side of the pipeline companies. And... We've also got Jess Vilsack, <laughs> the yes. son of the former governor, <laughs> yes. uh, who is Summit Summit's general counsel. Yeah. So there's this concern that, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> how do we win when we've got we've got um, people on, you know, um, from both parties on the side of the pipeline company? Well, we do have this. This is Senator Jeff Taylor. He was a sponsor of legislation that would have not allowed. This um, not 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 allowed eminent domain to be used mm -hmm. for this purpose. This is Jeff Taylor speaking during a committee meeting, I think, uh, just last week. The grassroots members of the Republican Party of Iowa agree with the aim of SF twenty one sixty. Our twenty twenty platform is crystal clear. Quote: We oppose federal or state government taking private property away from the owner for the use of another private party. But here's my concern, uh, Jessica, is that um, I think Republicans and Democrats are just paying lip service here. I think they're, they're, they're so cowed by what the leadership of both parties want that they're not going to take this seriously. I just want to be honest about that. That comes from my experience of being on the Hill for 14 years. So you think this, Ed? 
I, I know it. So what oh, happened? Yeah, I in think that you meeting? know. Good. All right. Tell me more. So I was <laughs> zooming into that meeting, and I gave public comment during that meeting, the subcommittee hearing that Senator Taylor um, on Senate File Twenty One Sixty. Yeah. Oh, good. Virtually, uh, on Zoom, and so I did hear uh, what happened. So at the subcommittee meeting, um, Senate File Twenty One Sixty passed. And it was scheduled to go through the committee the next day on Wednesday. What happened on Wednesday mm -hmm. is that Republicans and Democrats caucused separately, as they do before their committees uh, met to right. start their That's business. where the real decisions are made. Yes. And Republicans <laughs> kept us out for you know an hour. It was a long debate. When they finally came in, they came in, they sat down, and the chairman announced with no word of explanation that Senate file 2160 has been dropped from the agenda, which means that they killed the bill. And not only did they kill the bill, they killed it without taking a vote on it so that right. no members of their own party would be on record right. as opposing this, because as you say, they have campaigned on right. the issue of eminent domain. Now that can change. Yes. Because, uh, and I, and I, again, I, I do not for the life of me understand why Democrats aren't making a huge deal of this. I mean, back, and this is maybe before your time, but back in, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, uh, in 1995, the legislature passed a bill named House File 519 that basically opened the door to big corporations coming in and dominating Iowa's hog industry. Yeah. We saw the number of hog farmers drop from, what, 80,000? Yeah. Uh, a few years before that to, what, 5,000 a day? Yeah. And a guy named Wendell Murphy from North Carolina came in, set up shop, and now, of course, China owns the biggest pork processing uh, country com company in the U.S. Yeah. China owns Smithfield. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, so I guess what I'm saying is, after a bunch of years of Republicans refusing to take any action to rein in concerns about hog confinements, Democrats were able to win. Mm -hmm. in, in 2006, Democrats won the governor's office, the House, and the Senate, and they held it for four years, and this was one of the key issues they were supposed to address, and they did nothing. Nothing. And that's, you know, they have another opportunity to show that they can actually do something this time. Mm -hmm. And this is something I think Republicans have failed, and Democrats have a chance to do something with. I don't know. What do you think? Are they going to, will they do it? I mean, they, they could get, they could get Republicans, they could hold them to a vote. They couldn't get a vote in committee. They could get a vote on the floor. They could offer this as an amendment to any number of bills and force a vote and show that they stand on the right side. I hope that they will, Ed. I hope that they will. And hundreds of us are writing to our senators and our representatives to encourage them to do this. Uh, but I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, and here's why I'm not optimistic. All right, This is, um, this is uh, the uh, Democratic leader. In the, mm -hmm. Iowa, in the Iowa House, uh, the minority leader, uh, Jennifer mm -hmm. Confirst. Mm -hmm. Here's um, what she had to say about pipelines, CO2 pipelines on Iowa Press. From a, you know, 30,000 foot level, is a carbon pipeline a good idea? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I think that I can see a lot of pros and cons with this, and that's why I need to understand the details. 30,000 foot, I could make a yes and a no argument from 30,000 feet. But as we know, the devil's in the details, and so, a good idea might not be one that's implemented in a way that's good for Iowa. Or a good, a bad idea might actually have merit if you look at what it can do for jobs and the environment and our communities. So, sorry, I don't have a yes or no. I think it depends. That's the Democratic response to the Republicans' <laughs> unwillingness to take action on eminent domain. How's that make you feel? <laughs> I hope she does her homework. Does she, does she want to give me a call? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I will ask you well, to give I you mean, a call. I mean, this is really, uh, this is such a big issue, not only for Iowa, but really for what is happening in terms of energy policy right. and climate policy in our country. I really can't believe that she hasn't looked into this. Is it that she hasn't calculated the political risks and benefits? Is that what she's saying? <laughs> My take is that uh, some Democrats are buying the argument that this is going to uh, help address the climate crisis. And... Democrats are concerned. They don't want to offend the building trades labor unions mm -hmm. that want the jobs. And again, as we as we saw, and you can talk to any landowner, farmer, uh, anybody who went out to a construction site during the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yeah. On average, uh, when you if you would count ten cars 
10 cars of workers at the site, one of them would be from Iowa. Yeah, exactly. So I never understood yeah. why yeah. why the unions were uh, so gung-ho about this when so few Iowans were actually hired yeah. to do that work. Yeah, that but makes sense. And, and Dakota Access is kind of an dare I say it, a normal pipeline. CO2 pipelines are very particular. They're very unusual. They are less than well, 1% of all pipelines well, in the United States. And, and, so do you think Iowans know how to build this? Well, <laughs> well yeah, but, but, but even, even, the, even the Dakota Access Pipeline is not what I would call a, quote, normal pipeline because <laughs> we only had one other uh, oil pipeline in the state, and that was, that was vacated. That was a pipeline that ran north to uh, Minnesota. And, uh, you know, away from the Gulf. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Everything else is running to the Gulf because, of course, we're exporting it. But the, um, yeah, so I think even the oil pipeline was unusual in terms of pipelines. Mm-hmm. You think of pipelines, you think of gas lines, right. water lines, uh, yeah. sewer lines, yeah. fiber optic lines. Yeah. And now we've got oil lines and a whole new generation, as you said, of carbon dioxide pipelines. Yeah. So, you know, I, again, I am... Um, Back in, I'd love to see a poll on this. I I think we should challenge the Des Moines Register, the Cedar Rapids Gazette, other big entities to take a poll on this. Where do people stand on the use of eminent domain to build CO2 pipelines? Because when that question was asked years ago about the Dakota Access Pipeline, 75% of Iowans were against using eminent domain to build a privately owned pipeline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why politicians are scared of this issue. Mm -hmm. So how do you scare me even more? <laughs> Ed, I hope you give me some strategies after this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're continuing to, to send letters, to do emails, to stand up and to speak and to write op-eds to the newspapers. I mean, we really, our only strength is by standing together. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, to what extent do you think people are inclined not to sign up right away? I mean... There were people I met back during the Dakota Access fight who said, oh, I just I just want to get it over with. I didn't feel like dealing with it. They were bothering me. There was one guy who was getting bothered six times a day, he told me. Yeah. And he just was, he wanted him off his back. He just signed it. Of course, yeah. So what do you do to encourage people not to do that, to wait, to I, sit and assess? I think that a lot of our encouragement simply has been going into each other's kitchens and sitting at the tables and talking. And talking together very honestly about what's going on. Because, you know, obviously the pipeline companies will come and they'll say, you know, you really have no choice. We'll use eminent domain if you don't sign right now. But if you sign now, we're going to give you a better deal. And they come up with a number, a monetary figure, and they try to intimidate you and make you think that you have to sign now or, you know, you'll just be run over by them. Mm. Well, the truth of the matter is that deep in people's hearts, and it's hard to explain, but... They understand that a number on a piece of paper is not really uh, indicative of of the true wealth of the land. Right, right, right. You know, and the wealth of the land is not just about them and a, and a number. The wealth for for most of us who are out in the rural areas, our families have been there for generations mm-hmm. and generations. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the seventh generation. You know, and we depend on each other. We have always helped each other and. When we view the land, it's not about our land. It's really about, it's like the land owns yeah. us. Yeah. And we have a duty to it. And I think that that strength and that notion that the wealth is is an intergenerational wealth and the wealth is not in the hands of humans, that the wealth is something much, much greater mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. And farmers spend their lives, you know, in the face of, of what is greater than just themselves. They spend their lives, you know, immersed in nature and dealing with forces that are beyond their control. And they've been humbled by this and they have a, a deep love for this land. And I think that that strength is something that, that we will need in all the months to come. Mm. And that's what's making it possible for an individual to face a multi-billion dollar corporation and say, no, I'm not signing. A great speech. <laughs> we, we need to hear more of that. Now, there are about 50. I mean, Iowa has 99 counties, and there are about 50 counties that would be affected by this. Have you been hearing from people outside of your specific area who are also, you know, expressing concerns, not inclined to sign? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, after I called that public meeting in my little 
town uh, <laughs> where 100 people showed up. They said, um, a lot of my neighbors said, oh, Jessica, you know, can't you put this out on the web? And I thought, oh, my goodness, how can I do that? This is not me. But I sat down and I made a recording of, of what I had learned. And I, and I put I've, it And out. I've seen that. It's 35 minutes long. And it's worth every minute of it. <laughs> it's really it's really well done. It's well, excellent thanks. research. Well, it, at the end of that, of course, I put my email address and so i as a mistake no (laughs) no and and that youtube video has been getting i think almost three thousand views now it's um we'll we'll share with people too and hopefully it'll get some more traffic because it really it really it really undercuts the arguments of the people that think this is a good idea right and so people from all across the state have been emailing me i mean i say it it undercuts their arguments using their own words yes exactly (laughs) that's what i love to do (laughs) that's really because you know i mean that's the best way to do it but just to 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 emphasize now i have people on my little email list uh, which is not so little anymore uh, that go into South Dakota, into Nebraska, in Minnesota, and particularly in Illinois. There's mm. a very robust group that's yeah. getting off the ground in Illinois. Good. They're doing a webinar next week. Illinois was really late to the conversation against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Mm. Uh, and then they really got involved when the expansion was proposed. So that's that's good to see that they're, the people there are concerned about it as oh, well. Oh, yeah, they're extremely well organized. Jessica, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me, Ed. I appreciate you. Uh, Jessica Wiskus, folks, a landowner and a farmer in Lynn County, and she's been uh, one of the folks that have kind of really stepped forward with some really in-depth research and uh, efforts to um, educate and and get people aware of what's really going on with these CO2 pipelines. Again, thank you for joining us. And we will post the video. And if you do any other videos, we'll post those as well. They're very very articulate and, and very good information. So Thanks. So again, this is Ed Fallon. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. And when we come back, folks, from a short break, Kathy Burns is going to join me. We're going to be, uh, during our farm and food segment, we're going to be talking about fashion. You've never heard me talk about fashion before, have you? Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of architecture by synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Yeah, running 13 years on doing this program. What do you think of that, folks? Hey, and remember, if you like what we do, if you support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks, become a monthly donor or make a donation, whatever works for you. And if you run a small business or a nonprofit uh, and you're doing good work, that's important. you got to be doing good work. Consider becoming a sponsor of this program. And thanks to our sponsor, psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. I would like to welcome Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm to the program. Hello, Kathy. How's it going? It's going great. I, and uh, yeah, our topic today is, it seems like it's not really about farming and food, but it is. 
Fashion. Yeah, I, I, I hear the word fashion and I want to run the other direction really fast. I have a horrible track record when it comes to fashion. I've seen you run the other direction really <laughs> fast. Ed, how about a new pair of shorts? Ah! Yeah. Ed, what are you going to wear to the governor's inauguration? Oh, a sweatshirt? What are you going to wear to your niece's wedding? Whatever you Ooh. tell me to wear. <laughs> <laughs> Always the right But answer. there's a climate and a environmental connection to the whole fashion conversation. Right. Um, you know, well, let's let's just start with, you know, I think that I have, according to my very rough estimate today, maybe 100 pounds worth of clothing that I own. I think I own 100 pounds worth of clothing. And, and when I put it that way, I feel wow. bad. I will say, though, that most of it is hand-me-downs, hand-me-ups, or hand-me-overs, and I thrift a lot. I've never thought about it that way, too, how many pounds of clothing you have. Me either. Um, I, I usually think about, will the clothing fit the pounds I have? Um, you don't have as many clothes, Ed, but you wear them all well. well or I wear them till they're threadbare. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um, I, I, I want to uh, talk about our relationship with clothing and how that impacts climate. It's uh, something that's become more of an issue that I'm aware of um, in the past few years. And, uh, you know, I, you've had a guest on your show who's talked about fast fashion and the, the impact on yes, climate. Yes, and, and that that's a, just like fast food is a bad deal environmentally, so is fast fashion. Yeah, my, right. my uh, definition of fast food or fast fashion is it's like fast food. It's cheap, it's poorly sourced products, and they're marketed to make you really want them now. And they're not very good for us personally or, or for our health or the health of the planet. So give me an example. Or is that, a, uh, is that a loaded question? An example is, um, the well, a, a scenario is that the fashion industry puts out a new fashion about once a week throughout the year. So people feel like they've got to have the newest, coolest thing. Who, do, who determines cool? Can I do that? You do. Oh. You do in my book. <laughs> okay. I mean, really, who, do, who determines cool? I understand why they want to do that so they can make more money. Well, here's the problem is, the clothes are being manufactured unsustainable, unsustainably, a lot of them, and then they're being thrown away, mm. sometimes before they're even used, sometimes yeah. before they're even sold. In fact, according to Roadrunner.com, it's a commercial recycling agency, but they did a, a survey a few years ago, and they found out that Americans um, throw a lot of clothes away. The volume has nearly doubled in the last 20 years from 7 million to 14 million tons a year. So thrown away in good shape. A lot of it is in good shape. And that's that's kind of one of the problems with that stat. You don't know, mm. is it the kind of clothing that we throw away, which has to be unusable for anything else? Well, we don't usually throw clothing away. We turn it into uh, things we can use in the garden, Tie, strips for tying up tomatoes, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Uh, fences to manage one of the plots we have out in the uh, by the alley, things like that. Yeah, I think we do a pretty good job, um, and you know, I I think a lot of a lot of folks do. But to help people get a better grasp on this, um, uh, California uh, P uh, Federation of um, uh, Public Interest well, Research the, Groups, oh, CalPERG, CalPERG, uh, CalPERG, CalPERG, Public Interest Research Group, right? Sure. Um, Ralph Nader's spinoff. Okay. Yeah. You know more about it than I do. In, in a 2021 article, they estimate that 85% uh, of our clothes end up in landfills or burned. No. And, of course, some of that may have been unusable, but a lot of that was probably not even, um, you know, worn to it to good effect. So um, even if we tried to recycle all our old clothes, uh, it's important to acknowledge that a lot of the textiles, um, about 60%, a lot of the textiles, about 60% of them um, are not recyclable in the first place. So mm. it's good to recycle, it's good to reuse, and just tossing them is the last thing that you want to do. Yeah. But again, people will do that because they don't, they want to be up with the next style, and, and for some reason they think that what they're wearing now is not fashionable enough. I That, that just boggles my, my I know. fashion challenged mind. I I like to dress fun. I like to dress in ways that make me feel good. Yeah. And you like to dress comfortably in ways that, ways that make you feel not embarrassed. <laughs> no, I just like to dress comfortably. It's up to other people to decide to be embarrassed or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an industry trend now, though, to try to trick us into thinking the clothes we're buying 
are sustainably produced. And so um, according to this article uh, in 2019, uh, there's a popular clothing line, H&M. It's a Swedish company, Hennes and Moritz. Uh, they introduced their Conscious Collection, featuring leather-like products made from orange peelings and pineapple leaves. Really? However, it's unclear <clears throat> whether what they say is eco-friendly really is, because they're not really disclosing um, that they may also contain plastics and additives mm. and chemicals that can offset any positive impact of using the, the fibers. So we want to think about how to detect greenwashing in anything that you buy. If, you, yeah. if you're conscientious about, if you're going to buy new clothes, if you feel that's important, you should find out whether a brand promotes sustainability as an add-on rather than um, as a core of its business model. That's really the key. Has it created a new eco-friendly line? And I'm putting eco-friendly in quotes. Yeah. Or, um, or is it truly is having it, a business this, model is, that works sustainability? Is there for some us? watchdog that's keeping track of that so I don't have to? Good question. You must have cheated and looked at the notes. Ahead no, I didn't actually. Um, <laughs> there are some certifications you can check. Uh, something with fair trade textiles standard or with global organic textile standard, or with organic content standards. Those will give you a good mm. idea of the companies mm. that are sincerely interested in changing their, their production and business models to promote not only sustainability, but also maybe ethically produced right. clothing. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see more locally uh, produced and sourced clothing, people creating clothing themselves in their communities. Yeah. I like to, I like I to create best, clothing. The best place for that right now is uh, Goodwill. <laughs> I do a lot of thrifting. Um, yeah. So just, just, you know, be happy with what you have. Try not to buy things you don't need. Try not to wash your clothes too often or use even don't even use a clothes dryer. Hang them up on the line. And if you see me wearing a sweatshirt with my tweed jacket, do not be embarrassed. I'm never embarrassed of you, dear. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks to today's in-studio guest, Jessica Wiskus. To Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and to our callers, and also to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, again, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. Dave, Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and remember, you can support this program. It matters a lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website and learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.